Okay, um, start out with a, a word of scripture. This is Philippians 3, 8, 9. The Apostle Paul says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Um, just a passage to meditate on, and I think that passage will apply form the theme of the story that we're going to look at today. So, um, quick review, last week we were introduced to St. Augustine. Uh, we learned about his early life and his conversion. So kind of just to pick up from there, uh, continue on with the story. After his conversion, he was, remember, if you remember, he was converted while he was in Milan, Italy. And after Milan, Italy, eventually Augustine moved back to North Africa. So uh, he returned first to Carthage, uh, and then on from there he went to, uh, I want to say Thagaste, I might not be pronouncing that right, but that's his hometown. Finally, he set up in a little town called Hippo, uh, where he founded a monastery. And in Hippo, uh, it appears the local believers, there was a vacancy at the church of Hippo for a presbyter. And the local believers there had admired Augustine so much that they kind of thrust him forward as a candidate, uh, almost against his will. So he became a presbyter and elder in Hippo. And then after the bishop of Hippo died, as you might have guessed, Augustine succeeded him and became the bishop of Hippo. Now, before Augustine was a Christian, if you'll remember, he had been a scholar, and so he was trained in literature and writing, rhetoric, oratory, and so forth. And as anyone might expect, after he became a Christian, he began to put this intellectual skills, these skills of his, to the church's use. And in fact, he did this even before he technically joined the clergy. He was already, long before he was a presbyter, he was already writing a good bit of Christian work. He wrote about, uh, he wrote profusely, he wrote persuasively, he um, was a strong debater, a brilliant theologian, as it proved, and he was famous for writing against, first of all, the Manichaeans, if you remember, he was a Manichaean, so uh, prior to coming to Christ, and so um, afterward he kind of uh, uh, debated them, he knew what the weaknesses of their form of thought were. He argued with the Donatists, that was a schism, which we didn't have time to get into, uh, he also wrote works on the Trinity, on the Gospels, on marriage and celibacy, on faith, and much, much more. And so by the beginning of, say, the 5th century or so, it's, it's probably accurate to say that he, he had a reputation. He was becoming well-known, at least in the western part of the church at that time. The Confessions, of course, of St. Augustine that we looked at last week, they're a good picture of some of the major... Um, aspects of his doctrine, especially his understanding of human sinfulness and the gospel of grace. And um, However, what proves to happen here is, is Augustine and his doctrine were on a collision course. You see, there were other people in other parts of the church at that time who thought very differently about the gospel than he did. In fact, from the earliest times, it's accurate to say that from the earliest times, there had always been people in the church who misunderstood the gospel. There were always people in the church who kind of read the gospel, and they, they kind of saw it as a little more than a moralistic tutorial for self-justification. In fact, that's what Paul deals with in the letter to the Galatians. 
There are always people who, in the church, who read the Bible and the demands of the law in the Old Testament, and they read that and they thought, oh, I can do that. There were always these people who read the Gospels of Christ and, and the story of Christ's ministry and death, and somehow they failed to appreciate why Christ's sacrifice was necessary. So at the beginning of the 5th century, one of these people, one of these people who kind of read the Bible that way, he would become a heretic and a doctrine, doctrinal arc rival to Augustine. He emerged, and we met him last week, right at the end of last week's lesson. His name was Pelagius. So Pelagius, um, he is an, really an excellent representative of people who, who follow the wisdom of human philosophy. They follow their own reason without the guidance of Scripture. Now, I want to emphasize, I didn't say without Scripture, but rather without the guidance of Scripture. Uh, because Pelagius had Scripture, um, in fact, and he used it. Uh, the thing that's quite evident, though, is he twisted Scripture to suit his speculations rather than submit his thinking to the authority of Scripture. There's a big difference, and you can really see that difference if you consider what the way that Pelagius argued and you read what Augustine said. Pelagius, unlike Augustine, didn't have scripture to guide him. So Pelagius reacted very strongly to some of the doctrines that Augustine taught, um, doctrines we met in the Confessions. The first one, total depravity. Um, now that, of course, that term, of course, is not Augustine's. Uh, it comes later in history. But the idea of the complete sinfulness of human nature is nonetheless abundantly evident in Augustine's writings. And and that's, I think it's a great term, just to, it's a little anachronistic as a term, but it's a great term to kind of label what Augustine said and thought, um, what he plainly believed. And Augustine believed this um, not only because he observed this truth in his own personal life, but he also he saw it written and explained in the Bible. Now, what Pelagius' problem, what was Pelagius' problem with this doctrine? When he encounters... Uh, Augustine saying that we are completely sinful by nature. Well, in a nutshell, it was this. He said, Pelagius said, that to say, if, if we say humans are sinful by nature, according to Pelagius, uh, that means humans will necessarily sin. Always and inevitably, sinful beings will sin. And, and to this idea, Pelagius responded by saying, Sin is not man's own sin if it is necessary. On the other hand, if it is his own sin, it, is, it must be voluntary. And if it is voluntary, it can be avoided and therefore unnecessary. So what's he saying with all of this? What he's arguing is that we must not actually have a sin nature. We must not actually be depraved um, in our souls as human beings. Pelagius's crisis was really about the justice of a good creator, God. In, in his mind, if human beings sin because it is in our nature to sin, uh, that would mean that we really cannot help but sin. And if that is true, how can we be counted guilty for doing what, it, it, what is in our nature to do? So this doctrine in Pelagius' mind seemed to, it seemed to accuse the creator um, it seemed to suggest that, that God had made human beings sinful. Or, on the other hand, if... Uh, Man is not responsible for their sin. Right, that's what he's arguing. Um, 
Uh, on the other hand, if if human nature be, somehow became corrupted after God made it, well, then that seems to slander God as well in Pelagius' mind, because it suggests that God created man's soul corruptible, able to be corrupted. So as a result of this line of reasoning, Pelagius denied that humans had a sin nature. He went further, too, with the logic. Um, he went on to challenge the second thing that we learned from Augustine last week, and that was the saving grace of God. Uh, Pelagius argued this, if God's word commands us not to sin, it therefore follows that it must be possible for us to obey God and not sin. And so, as he thought, we have it within our nature to be able to uh, live without sin. And this, in fact, becomes the way whereby uh, we, we achieve salvation and, and become justified with God. This is Pelagius' doctrine. Uh, now, at this point, many Christians in the 5th century, they would hear this, they would um, be encounter Pelagius' writings and teachings, and they would properly you know, have a lot of alarm bells going off. Like, wait a minute, something doesn't sound right here. This doesn't sound like the faith that we believe. Now, Pelagius, he's a Christian, right? He's a monk, but he's, he's teaching this stuff. Um, and so... Pelagius had to respond to some of the, the things that, the, that Christians of that time, the reactions that they would have. They, you know, they'd say, well, why Jesus? What's the point of grace? What happened at the garden with Adam's sin? Well, Pelagius had a response to all of these questions, all of these challenges. First of all, Adam. According to Pelagius, Adam's sin uh, didn't affect human nature one bit. Adam's sin, yes, but it didn't corrupt or, or do anything to... Uh, our nature, our souls after that. Nearly, well, really all, all Adam's sin did was it set a bad example for us. We're all born into this world, according to Pelagius, with good natures, uh, but we do sin because we follow the bad examples of our parents and others around us. And so thus we perpetuate a vicious cycle. This is what we are. Secondly, uh, Christ on the cross. Why, why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, Pelagius admits that the vast majority of us do, in fact, sin. You can't really deny that, of course. Um, but in and interestingly, though, he did he did create a list of Bible characters, starting with Abel. It's pretty long. Uh, these were Bible characters who he believed were sinless, and this kind of bolstered his idea that it is possible to live a sinless life. But he does say that for those of us who have sinned, uh, Christ's sacrifice is necessary to expiate our past sin. And then, according to Pelagius, going forward, our full salvation and justification is accomplished by our own exercise of will to avoid sin. Thirdly, grace. He had to deal with this term in the Bible, grace. And, of course, it's all over the New Testament. You can't, Pelagius can't just throw it out. He can't say there's no such thing as grace. So what does he do? He redefines it. Um... According to Pelagius, what he says is, grace is this. Basically, God created you and he created me with a nature and a soul that is able not to sin. That's grace. According to Pelagius. So grace is this creative act. God created us with this way, that, that's grace. And he had this metaphor. His metaphor was effectively this. He said, God created me with the ability to see. But that doesn't mean that I always do see. Sometimes I close my eyes and I don't see. Right? So I have a choice to exercise. But the fact that he created me able to see, that's his grace. God's grace to me. 
Any questions up to this point? Okay. So this is what Pelagius comes out saying early in the 5th century, reacting to Augustine. And many Christians of the 5th century, they, you could say, I think quite a number of them immediately recognized the error in Pelagius' teachings. Sadly, however, many did not. Um, a lot of people bought it. Uh, a lot of people were at least confused by it. Uh, some of his arguments seemed to be reasonable to some people. And so there followed a, a big political and, and doctrinal struggle in the church. And as with many of the heresies before it, that struggle was both long and involved. And unfortunately, we're not going to get into that story too much. Uh, suffice it to say that, that in summary, after a certain amount of time, Pelagius was, he was eventually excommunicated as a heretic. The church rejected him officially. Um, and there was at least one synod or council that responded to Pelagianism with a, a list of canons or rules of doctrine. And, and these include a number of things um, such as this. They, that council decided this. One, death came, in, came to Adam and the human race because of sin. Uh, human nature is infected by original sin. We must confess ourselves to be sinners. Justifying grace not only forgives past sins, but also enables us to avoid future sins. Without God's grace, it's impossible to perform good works. That was, those are among the key points that that council um, agreed on. So he was uh, sort of officially repudiated. And then after him, there was also, there were still people who kind of followed Pelagius. They either would be Pelagian or what we call semi-Pelagian, where they want to still give some credit to human um, effort and basically the human ability to do good, supposedly. So again, that's a really good story, and I hope that maybe some of these lessons would have piqued your interest and would definitely encourage you guys to kind of read into the events um, in that story. However, for today, uh, because of our time limitations, I, I feel that the most valuable thing for us would really be to focus on Augustine's doctrinal response to Pelagius. So Pelagius has challenged Augustine. Now Augustine needs to respond to him. And I think this is uh, really valuable because, not because we, we get truth from Augustine. Augustine isn't the one that we get truth from. Rather, it, it's because... When we read a man like Augustine, who does study the Bible, is a good student of the Bible, it helps confirm to us that what we believe regarding sin, grace, and justification is in fact ancient. We're not just crazy people who emerged, you know, in the 16th century and said this is the way it is. 1,100 years after Augustine and Pelagius, uh, the, the Protestant Reformation kicked off. It was a response to the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church at that time. And there were people at that time, as there are still today, who accused Martin Luther and the other reformers of innovating. They said, your doctrine of justification is new. Uh, the church never taught this before. And such people, tragically, are quite ignorant, uh, both then and now. And I think that when we look at a guy like Augustine and what he said, we can prove that. We can, we can see how, no, actually, this doctrine the church has fought for over and over again throughout its history. Now, I also don't want to misrepresent Augustine. Uh, did he have doctrinal differences from us? Yes. In fact, some big ones. Um, the point, rather, is that the plain teaching of Scripture about salvation is, is attested to by great fathers in the ancient church, like 
Augustine, he's a good example. But right off the bat, I think it's helpful if we just deal with some of the big differences that Augustine had from us. So first of all, Augustine did believe in regenerative baptism. Um, and that is basically the idea that regeneration occurs when a person is baptized. Uh, salvation, of course, is there's many aspects to our salvation. There's regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification. Augustine believed that the regeneration part, that actually happened in the sacrament of baptism. And for that reason, he, he encouraged the, the baptism of infants. In fact, precisely because Augustine believed the human soul is sick and blind and mandridden and, uns and unsightly, as he said in the Confessions, because he believed that, he recognized, as the scripture teaches, we need to be regenerated. Um, Does he stay where, 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 where in the scripture that will support his belief in that? He probably does. I don't know if I can quote it for you right now. Okay. Um, but yeah, he does. Um, he, he strongly argues that yeah, we should baptize infants. Um, that's necessary for the, for the regeneration of the soul, that he does think about. Now, interestingly, he, it's actually a, a, a swing from the trend that was common in the church at that time. So in the 3rd century and the 4th century, what people were actually doing most often, it seems, at least from what I've read, they weren't baptizing babies so much as they were baptizing people on their deathbeds. And there was a reason for that. They thought... Well, there's, there's this false doctrine that was going around that said, if you get baptized, and after you're baptized, you sin, you're damned forever and you can never be saved. Maybe you get two sins. Tertullian thought this way. We met Tertullian. And so for this reason, Christians who were both honest and smart said, don't baptize me till I'm dead, or nearly dead. Unconscious, but my heart's beating. You know? And that's, in fact, we see that a lot. Constantine himself, he didn't, he's a Christian, professing Christian, his entire reign doesn't get baptized until his deathbed. Augustine deplored this way of thinking. His whole belief system on the grace of God, um, human nature, and so forth, just led him to think, that's just totally wrong. And he actually, I don't know if he was the only guy who did this, but I definitely believe he was in, in, influential in swinging the church to the other extreme. Well, let's get people baptized as soon as po possible, because it's or the hymn regeneration. So there was that big difference. The other, the other difference between Augustine and us is, is a bit more subtle. Um, I don't think it's as big a deal. It's, it's basically this, that whereas we believe that justification is, God, is, a, is, is a condition where God imputes righteousness to us, what Augustine taught is that justification is where God endows us with righteousness. Little bit of a difference. Uh, we're going to, as we read what he says, I hope we, we can wrap our minds around it a little bit more. Imputing righteousness is the idea that when God justifies us, he accredits Christ's righteousness to our account. Endowed righteousness is more of an idea that God, when he justifies us, he gives us through his spirit righteous light living. It's all from him. We don't earn it, but nonetheless, it's something that's lived. That's more like sanctification, quite frankly. There's a subtle difference and an important difference, but um, I don't think it's as big a deal as some of the other things. But um, let's look at where and what the, the basic foundational doctrine that uh, Augustine's was with, with respect to justification and um, to salvation. How do we get it? What's the means of, atta of attaining it? That's where I think we really have a lot in common with him. 
Any other questions before we move on? Okay. So Augustine's response to the Pelagian error is contained in several written works of his. Um, and uh, in it, I think we can see very well the essentials of, of how Augustine understood sin and justification. Uh, so here's his response. I've really condensed it. I'm going to quote a lot. I do that so you can see that it's not me saying Augustine said this, but you can see Augustine said this. Um, Pelagius claimed, as we learned, he claimed that to say mankind was utterly sinful in nature was an affront to the Creator. Um, he claimed it excused mankind from guilt and sin. And Augustine responded by suggesting that instead of leaning on our own reasoning, we should let Scripture guide our reasoning. This is what Augustine said, quote, Let us not suppose that human nature cannot be corrupted by sin, but rather, believing from the inspired Scriptures that it is corrupted by sin, let our inquiry be, how could this possibly have come about? So he starts with a wise starting point. Let's just let Scripture tell us, and then let's, from that foundation, let's figure out how it is. He goes on, Augustine went on to explain that, that God did, in fact, create man sinless, like Pelagius believed. Nevertheless, as the scripture teaches, human nature was permanently marred and corrupted upon Adam's choice to sin. He said this, quote, All good qualities which human nature still possesses in its made, it has of the Most High God, its creator and maker. But the flaw, which darkens and weakens all those good natural goods, Human nature has not contracted this from its blameless creator, but from that original sin which it committed by free will. In other words, God made human nature good, and then human nature was fundamentally altered by the sin of Adam. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Augustine believes. Well, else did Pelagius argue? Pelagius argued that mankind retains in his nature the capacity to live sinlessly. And Pelagius even named people in the Bible, other than Jesus, who... He thought did this. And he further pointed to the law, the Old Testament law, as a means by which this is accomplished. It was Augustine's response. He said uh, that by focusing, well, first of all, he focused on the scriptural teaching in Galatians 2.21. What does that say? It says, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So Augustine focuses on that verse and he makes this argument. Quote, if natural capacity, by help of free will, is in itself sufficient both for discovering how one ought to live and also for leading a holy life, then Christ died in vain. And Augustine goes on. He says, if, however, Christ did not die in vain, which obviously he didn't, in him only is the ungodly man justified. But all those who do not think themselves to belong to him, all who have sinned, they, of course, have no need to become a Christian. In other words... Augustine says, if you don't believe that the only sacrifice, that only the sacrifice of Christ justifies you, uh, and if you somehow think that your own law keeping can justify you, you shouldn't even be a Christian, because you don't need Christ. But of course, we all do need Christ. Augustine he pointed directly to Romans three twenty, where it says, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified, and uh, he proved this point from Scripture. Now Pelagius, he tried to gainsay the Scripture. Um, and he, he used a tactic which is a common refrain. We've heard it all throughout history. We hear it today still in response to the, the Reformation. It goes like this. He says that where the Apostle Paul teaches that the law doesn't save us, 
Paul is merely referring to the ceremonial law. That is, Sabbaths, festivals, sacrifices, and so forth. Well, Augustine rejects this, and he says, the Apostle Paul definitely meant the moral law. Uh, and he, he makes his argument, first of one place he cites is he cites uh, 2 Corinthians 3.7, where it speaks, it tells us that the ministry of death, that's the law, was engraved on stones. It's a clear reference to the Ten Commandments. And Augustine says this, quote, who can possibly entertain so absurd an opinion as to suppose that the ministry of death written on stones was not said equally of all the Ten Commandments, but only of the Sabbath day? It's very clear. Paul obviously isn't just talking about rituals. He also quotes Romans 7.7, where, where Paul says, I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet and as Augustine affirms, obviously the apostle meant the moral law, not just the ceremonial law. But, 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 says Pelagius, why would God give commands if it is impossible for us to keep them? This comes up again in the Reformation. The guys who opposed Martin Luther are like, why would God do that? They, say, they ask the exact same question. Augustine responds, he explains, those right to scripture, and he says, there was need to prove, quote, there was need to prove to man how corruptibly weak he was, so that against his iniquity the holy law brought him no help towards good, but rather increased his iniquity. What's the point that Augustine's making? He goes on, quote, the law is to prevent our confidence from being attributed to any strength of our own. The intention of the law is in its center is this, still Augustine's that by reason of the transgressions which men commit, they may flee for refuge to the grace of the Lord who has pity on them. Augustine concludes, he says, the law was given that grace might be sought. Why do we have law? So we'll seek grace. Now what is grace, according to Augustine? Grace, he says this, this is grace of Christ. It is not rendered for any merits, but it is given gratis. It's free without charge, on account of which it is also called grace. So what's the way of salvation? What's the way of justification according to Augustine? Well, when it comes to sin and justification, he tells us this. And I think this is such a good summary statement. It just contains really much of the doctrine that Augustine believed that we have from Scripture. And it's all over his writings, but this is just a really good summary. He says, quote, Now, Having duly considered and weighed all these circumstances and testimonies, we conclude that a man is not justified by the precepts of a holy life, but by faith in Jesus Christ. In a word, not by the law of works, but by the law of faith. Not by the letter, but by the spirit. Not by the merits of deeds, but by free grace. I don't think any Christian or any theologian or any student of the Bible, whether in the 5th century, 16th century, or now the 24th century, really could have said it better than Augustine said it. I think faithful men have perhaps equaled him, but never really surpassed it. He, he saw what the Bible plainly said, and he articulated it well. So we're very grateful to Augustine. I think we can say quite clearly that what Augustine believed about justification was that it is uh, comes to us from God by grace alone and through faith alone. And that's the doctrine that the, that the church has long believed and fought for. Any questions? Did Augustine ever, uh, Augustine ever change his uh, opinion about regeneration occurred when the person baptized? Not that I know of. 
I would say that this, he, he believes, so again, regeneration, he believes that that happens at baptism. I do think that considering all that I've read by him so far, he would not accept baptism as in and of itself enough to just justify and save a person. That person also has to have faith of themselves. So again, there's justification and there's regeneration, and he kind of thinks of them as two separate things. Um, the entire work, is, what he's very clear on, is the entire work of salvation is God's, through no merit of our own. Um, we don't earn it in any way. So. And I think, although I disagree with the baptism idea, I think that's actually somewhat consistent with him, because yes. he's like, well, the church gives baptism, so then that's God giving regeneration, not the person earning it somehow. Mm -hmm. So you can see how that would be consistent.